Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. This is part two of the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Jim Kuzis. In part one, Jim spoke about his life experiences. Now, in the second portion of the podcast, Jim Kuzis addresses questions and speaks about numerous valuable pieces of advice for leaders. Jim begins by dispensing five really insightful pieces of advice, or lessons, for aspiring leaders. His lessons include his description of the myth about talent in the workforce. Jim continues by discussing some of the reasons that he has identified the ability to do forward thinking as one of the greatest challenges for leaders. He goes on to discuss his most admired leaders before addressing the question, what does, le- excuse me, what does good leadership look like? He offers his description of the leadership practices inventory and the five practices required for good leadership. Jim tells his story, which is a story that still informs his decisions today. And now, here is National Leader of the Month, Jim Kuzis, in part two of the podcast. What about some advice to aspiring leaders? Of course, having written on leadership, leadership for, for now and researched it for over 25 years, there's lots of advice. But let me just offer a, a couple of observations, uh, maybe four or five key lessons from over the years. In fact, this afternoon, after we get off this call, I'll be getting ready to leave to give a talk, and it's essentially the subject of the talk. It's, what are some of the sustainable leadership lessons? What, what have we learned from our research over 25 years that's stood the test of time and, and uh, is something that we think uh, forms as firm a foundation today as it did 25 years ago? And the first of those lessons would be that leadership is everyone's business. I mentioned that earlier. It's not the private reserve of, of just a few people. It's not about position. It's not about authority. It is about uh, influence. Uh, and those who are the most influential day-to-day in our lives are those leaders who are closest to us. So if, you'd, if we were to study uh, leadership and look at, ask people who their role models for leadership are, we will find that over 40% will nominate somebody who's a family member, father, mother, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandparent, followed by, this is according to the data we've gathered, about 26% will name a teacher or a coach from school. Hmm. Another 11% will say someone in the community, church leader, civic leader, uh, followed by business leader, and then political leader, professional athlete, entertainer, and so on. Uh, no, I'm not sure, nobody. And, and what we learned from this list is that the leaders who get the most mentions are those who know us well and who we know well. So right now we're fixated with the presidential election and, uh, you know, Hopefully everybody will go out and exercise their their right to vote. Um, but when it comes to my day-to-day behavior, the President of the United States has about zero influence on what I do. 
Sure. Uh, uh, now, that person obviously has a lot of influence over, you know, global economic policy and uh, and uh, whether or not we go to war or not. Right. That's going to ultimately influence my my behavior. But over my lifetime, the people who are going to be most influential in my life, in your life, or anyone's life, are those leaders who are closest to us. And so the first message we want to deliver is whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a, a, a coach, someone who's in the community, or a business leader, or a politician, you are the most important leader to those who are closest to you. And we all have the potential for leading someone. And then it raises the question, are we not obligated then to be the best leaders we can be? Hmm. If that is a that is a possibility. Sure. Or I would say a probability in our life. The second lesson is that credibility is the foundation of leadership. When we first started our research, we found that personal credibility was the most important attribute of uh, a leader, far more important than anything else. Being believed is the first criteria for any leader to have any kind of influence. If people don't believe in the messenger, they won't believe the message. Again, we can see that in this political season, we, we, it becomes quite evident. You know, if you don't believe in the person delivering the message, you're not going to believe the message. Sure. Um, so that's the second criteria. The second message we would, you know, I would pass on second lesson. The third is that personal values drive commitment. Credibility behaviorally, most people tell us, is do what you say you will do, practice what you read, put your money where your mouth is, walk the talk. All of the, that, that, that behavioral definition of credibility, following through on the promises that you make, implies two things. First of all, you have to know what you believe in in order to be able to do what you say. And then you have to follow through. You have to connect your voice and your touch. Sure. You know, walk and your talk. Um, and what we find from our research is that people who are the clearest about what they value and believe in are the most committed individuals. And so we get the most... The, the, those, those leaders who, who clarify their beliefs and, and hold to them, stick to them, have behavioral integrity, walk the talk, will have far more influence than those who are unclear about their values and beliefs. Uh, the fourth lesson I'd pass on is that looking forward is a prerequisite. Over 71% on average and 88% at the most senior levels, uh, people in our surveys say that they want a leader who is forward-looking. And uh, we, as leaders, uh, have to look across the horizon of time, have a vision of the future, be positive and optimistic about the future. And we find that that, Brian, interestingly enough, is the quality which shows the most difference between
between an individual contributor and a leader. And we ask people to to select the qualities they most look for and admire in a leader, someone whose direction they would willingly follow, and then at, using the same list, say, what what are the qualities you would most look for in somebody you would like to work with, a colleague you'd like to be on a, on a project with or on a team with. Forward-looking does not appear on that list hmm. nearly as often as, as forward-looking does when you're asking about someone you want to be a leader, want, want to have as your leader. Sure. So it is the differentiating factor. And yet, it is also the practice at which leaders are the, weak, uh, are the least skilled. And so as much talk as there is about vision, it, is, it still shows the biggest gap behaviorally in what people can do and deliver. And it's, it's one area where uh, we have to do the most work. The fifth lesson is that, that uh, while leadership is personal in the sense that we need to know what we stand for and believe in, it's all, it, it is a relationship uh, between those who aspire to lead and those who choose to follow. And it is the quality of the relationship that determines whether people will uh, long-term continue to follow someone, whether they, over the long term, will feel that when they are in the presence of that person, they are more capable of doing things than less capable. And uh, also leadership is, it is about what you do. It's, it is in the moment, as, as one of the leaders we interviewed says, leadership, said to us, leadership opportunities are presented to everyone. What makes the difference between being a leader or not is how you respond in the moment. So it's what I do now and in the next moment and the next one that, on a day-to-day basis will determine whether people want to follow me. It's about execution. It is about implementation. It is about following through. Uh, And it's not always the big things. It's the little things like listening better, being more positive, saying thank you. Uh, And I guess if I were to, to add one last lesson, and this is something more recent, I would say it takes practice and practice takes time. You cannot become an expert leader overnight or next year. In the long term, it takes about 10 years and 10,000 hours in order to become the best you can be. And that means practicing deliberately on a daily basis. Well, that doesn't really work well in our quick-fix society. I mean, I want to be able to do it in uh, one week and... Ten minutes a day. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work, and it's, it's something that uh, we're becoming more, I think we're going to be hearing more about, because we're realizing that, as, as uh, Jeffrey Colvin of Fortune recently wrote uh, in Fortune, and, and also something that uh, Barry and I have been writing about for a number of years now, is that talent is overrated, it's highly overrated. The whole idea that we're going we're gonna to search around and find the most talented people and that those people are going to somehow save us from ourselves <laughs> is, is a myth. It's not about talent at all. It is about deliberately practicing 
on a regular basis so that when when we are faced with that tough call, we know what to do. It's not the first time we've pre- been presented with that problem. Uh, when w- when we uh, have to uh, do a performance appraisal, it's not once a year and it's the first time we encounter that situation. We've, we've practiced it and we know how to handle those difficult, tense, and, and often uh, emotional situations. Uh, so as leaders, we need to begin to understand that the better learners make better leaders. Related question then would be, I mean, do any people have more natural tendencies to make that correct reaction earlier during that, say, 10-year period than others? Or can you talk about that at all? Well, I don't know that nobody's yet found a gene for leadership uh, any more than they found a gene for accounting or a gene for architecture. Uh, you know, it's it's not something that maybe we'll, as we map the genome, we'll find that one special gene that that uh, sets us along a path for a particular career. I tend to doubt it, but uh, maybe it will. Uh, but but right now we don't know of one, uh, so we. The best we can say is that early childhood experiences can make a difference. I mean, Tiger Woods started playing golf at two and a half years old. His father put a golf club in his hand. That certainly gave him an advantage. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, Mozart started playing music uh, when he was very young, and he happened to have a father who was also a musician and a composer. That also helped. Uh, so as we look at uh, we, we look more carefully at people who succeed in various professions, uh, they've had certain childhood experiences that and been exposed to certain things that have given them some uh, advantage potentially. But that's no guarantee. Experience doesn't equal expertise. Sure. Uh, and so it, 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 you add to that the sense that you know I. Uh, I know that this is what I want to do, and I'm going to apply myself and, and practice over time. So certain people may have advantages because of their early experiences in life, but it doesn't account for everything. When you were talking about looking forward as a prerequisite, how that's the skill in which we, in general, are are least you know qualified or... or... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My question is... Um, why is that? Is that? I mean, what through your research have you found makes that such a, a, a I don't know if I'll say a problem area, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, why is it that way? Uh, it's, a, it's a question we we keep asking ourselves. There are two or three observations. First of all, it requires thinking long term, and that is not something as as you commented earlier in our, our current quick fix culture, thinking long-term is not necessarily something we do a lot of. Mm. Um, we're looking for the quick fix, the easy solution, the, you know, I want it now, the instant gratification. And, and consequently, uh, we, we, our attention shifts to the, the nearer term under those circumstances, the pressure of the moment. Uh, you know, we... Did people really ask themselves when they were looking at these no-interest uh, loans that what will be the consequence of the, uh, the what will be the consequence of this ten, fifteen years down the road when people who 
don't have a job or who can't who don't have the proper credit rating end up having to see their rates go up and pay more money what will be the consequence will we see that you know people are not asking themselves these kinds of questions right about you know these unintended potentially consequences they're looking more well let's sell that house today and let's get more people in a house that's the american dream sure uh and and we're all culpable so one is our short-term fixation, uh, and we have to start uh, lifting our eyes to the horizon and looking out beyond uh, the, 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 the shorter term. And uh, so that's one issue, just uh, elevating our, our sights uh, and thinking longer term. Uh, a person in the most senior levels in organizations today should be thinking 25 years out hmm. in the in the largest organizations uh, if you're in the middle ranks five to ten years out uh, that's a long time for, for most people and longer often than they think they're going to be in the company so why should I start looking that far out sure uh, that's that's one very critical thing the other is that uh, it's not just the leader's vision uh, leaders often think that if they climb to the top of the mountain and uh, they meditate long enough and they get inspired and then they come down and they declare to the masses that this is going to be where we're headed. That's not how visions are formed. Visions come from in paying attention and listening and paying particular attention to the human condition. And what is it that people need? What is it that people desire? What are their hopes, dreams, and aspirations? And those people we call visionaries really are just the best listeners. Hmm. They pay more attention to what people's hopes, dreams, and aspirations are, what their needs are, what, the, what perhaps the even unarticulated needs that people have are. And they're able to then come up with ideas about how to be responsive. The third is that, that because it's not just a leader vision and it's a shared vision, we need to be able to communicate to others in such a way that they can see themselves in the picture. So if I am not speaking a language that others understand and can relate to and can say, oh, yeah, I, I can see myself there. That's, that is where I want to go. You know, I, I, I had, couldn't quite express it that way myself, but, but that, that's where, that, that, that is the direction I'd like to see us going in. When people can articulate, when leaders can articulate the vision in a way that other people can see themselves as part of it, they are much more likely to enlist others. And we are finding from our data, Brian, that that, that is probably the latter explanation although the first two are, are quite valid, the latter is, explains more of why leaders are ineffective. It's not so much that they can't envision things long-term. It's not so much that they, they don't always not understand what people want, but they are not able to express it in a way that gets other people excited and energized. Hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It makes an awful lot of sense. Um. Moving forward, who are you had mentioned a number of different leaders that you've worked mm -hmm. with. Uh, is there anyone or a couple folks that you would uh, put forward as your most admired leaders? 
Well, I think there are a number of individuals that have had a great influence on me and my thinking, many of whom I know and, and some of whom um, I've only, uh, much as others, read about in the history books or have have, have seen from a distance. Um, I mentioned my father, and I think that that is someone that I, when I look to uh, everyday leadership, I look to him uh, as a model of, of his of what I saw him do with those he worked with. Um, I think my co-author, Barry Posner, falls into that category as an everyday leader at Santa Clara University as the dean of the business school. You know, Barry, uh, when he when he arrived, had to, as dean, had the task of raising what turned out to be about $48 million to build a new business school building. And just uh, about a month ago, they had the inaugural opening of the building. Uh, so... It was quite quite a challenge, and over about a ten year period, he uh, was able to accomplish that. So I, I think that's just an amazing feat, and you don't do that uh, without a certain set of skills and abilities. Sure. You know, I I admire m- my wife and what she's able been able to do with raising our son and my mother. So I go back to who are your most admired leaders? They're friends and family, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, those who have been writers or scholars in this area, I think uh, uh, John Gardner and Warren Bennis have been people that uh, who have both been real-life leaders. You know, Warren Bennis at the University of Cincinnati and in other roles in universities as, as an executive. He was president of the University of Cincinnati. Uh, John Gardner is the founder of Common Cause. These are people who write about leadership, but they've also had their, their feet on the ground, and they, they've, they've had to deal with the challenges day to day of what it is to be a leader. So they write from experience. Uh, the same with Francis Hesselbein, former CEO of Girl Scouts and today chairman of Leader to Leader Institute. Uh, done amazing things in her life. She's in her mid-80s now and still travels around the world. Uh, speaking and writing, advises the U.S. military. I mean, she's an amazing person. Uh, I think uh, I, I look at Arlene Blum, who was the first woman to lead a team of all women to the top of Annapurna, the 11th highest mountain in the world, is somebody I I uh, admire greatly. And, and uh, Anita Roddick, founder of The Body Shop, a personal friend and colleague uh, who sadly passed away, uh, This uh, a young woman, uh, uh, ended up uh, uh, just passing away at a very early age. Uh, and uh, historically, uh, John Kennedy had a strong influence on me because I was, and you'll see this in my bio, I was in John Kennedy's honor guard as an Eagle Scout. When I was an Eagle Scout at 15, I was selected to be in his honor guard. And when he was inaugurated president of the United States, I uh, I served I stood there in front of the reviewing stand as we watched the parade go by, and Kennedy was up above me to my right. Wow. And that that, that experience, I can just still visualize. I can still go back to that place even today. Neat. Um, It's back at 61. And then um, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And Martin Luther King. Kind of round out my list. Okay. Any story that you can think of that would encapsulate um, who you are or uh, what you think leadership is, either or? I do have many stories, but uh, again, one that, that kept coming, that we were reflecting on this question, kept coming back to me, was 
an experience that happened to me very early on that was seminal and and trans, uh, transformative. And I was having dinner with Fred Margolis, the person I mentioned to you. He was uh, Fred Margolis was uh, the person I would say was the the most effective in 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 training and teaching me how adults learn and how to teach adults. And uh, Fred and I had dinner once after an engagement in the Washington, D.C. area, and we went out to dinner. And over dinner, he said to me, Jim, uh, what's the best way to learn something? He asked me that question. Now, I'd had extensive training from him and others and uh, a background in experiential learning, so I, uh, I, I, I thought rather confidently that the answer was uh, the best way to learn something is to experience it yourself. Sure. Fred looked at me as Fred would do and very quickly responded, no, the best way to learn something is to teach it to somebody else. And at that moment, that was one of those revelations where you kind of do a double take, you know, your brain does a double take and you realize you've just heard something extremely profound. Uh, And what I learned from Fred that evening really continues to benefit me to this day. Uh, The first lesson's obvious, and the best way to learn something is is to teach it to somebody else. When we take on the role of teacher... We have to study more, prepare ourselves more, because you know we're, we're, we know we're expected to know it better than the student. And the second lesson, however, is a little less obvious, but was also kind of one of those blinding flashes uh, that that the legacies we pass on to others are in the stories that we tell, hmm. um, and because. I tell that story a lot, particularly to those who are wanting to move into consulting or facilitation or coaching, whether they've been in a leadership role or not, or wanting to, to then kind of move to teaching others. That you may have experienced this in your own life, but until you can teach what you know to somebody else, you really don't know it. Sure. And uh, that's that's not always an easy transition for people to move from knowing something intellectually or even knowing it from their own experience to being able then to help others discover that same the same lessons they have learned. Great story. So that that's that that is a formative story in my own life and continues to inform me. When I am when I am preparing for an engagement, whether it's a one hour speech or a you know, a several-day event, uh, I always ask myself the kinds of questions that will, will uh, that, that, that come from, you know, that, partic- that, that experience with Fred that night. Sure. What does good leadership look like to you? Uh, again, we, I, I cheat a little bit here because I've written so much about it, but we, we, we articulate five practices. From our research, when we asked people to t- tell us about a time when you did your best as a leader, and we collected case after case after case, and we analyzed these cases, and then created an instrument called the Leadership Practices Inventory. Now, the Leadership Practices Inventory, to measure those behaviors, we uncovered five practices. The first of those is you have to model the way. You have to set an example 
with your behavior based on a clear set of values. You need to inspire a shared vision. You both need to envision that long-term future that that you and others aspire to, and then you have to be able to enlist others in it. You have to communicate it in such a way that others say, I want to be part of it. You need to challenge the process. Uh, challenge really is the opportunity for greatness. Leaders search for opportunities to change and grow and innovate and improve, and then they experiment and take risks because when you try to do something new and different, it's not always going to work out. It's risky, and so you have to be willing to learn from your mistakes. The fourth is enabling others to act. Uh, as leaders, we have to foster collaboration, teamwork, and trust, and we also have to strengthen individuals so that they feel capable and confident that they can perform. And uh, lastly, we encourage the heart. The fifth of the practices, we recognize individuals for their contributions to our success and we celebrate as a community uh, our values and our victories. So those are the five practices. Model, inspire, challenge, enable, and encourage. Excellent. What items do you think it would be valuable to see in a feature about you and leadership that we have not yet touched on? The one on the traits, uh, that are a little bit different from the practices. I can tell you the four that come out on top of our list in our research, honest, forward-looking, competent, and inspiring, Okay. Uh, which kind of map to the five practices. Uh, that adds up, by the way, to credibility. The top uh, honest, competent, and inspiring are what add up to credibility. And, and I've, we've done this for 20 years, uh, over almost 25 now, and around the world. And uh, those four are the only four, honest, forward-looking, competent, and inspiring, that are named by people using our survey tool as uh, mo by more than 50% of people globally, uh, and it's persisted for uh, well uh, nearly 25 years now, which leads us to a conclusion that leaders there are some universal portable leadership. Uh, characteristics. Hmm. Uh, so honest, forward-looking, competent, and inspiring. Uh, and you had asked about encouraging and stifling leadership. And um, so we'd go back to an earlier thing that uh, the practice of our five practices that I named earlier, Brian, the one that has the most impact on performance is model the way followed by enable others to act. So we have to be able to set a good example for others in order to be exemplary and exemplary leader. As one person once told us, you either lead by example or you don't lead at all. Sure. Um, and, and the best way leaders can encourage good leadership is to set a good example, set an example of exemplary leadership can also send the message that exemplary leadership is valued and can be learned. They need to offer developmental opportunities for people to learn to lead, and they need to tell stories about exemplary leaders throughout the organization. One thing that is most stifling, I think, is to send the message that it's born rather than made, mm -hmm. and somehow uh, we're just going to select the best leaders. Uh, and, and and 
import them if necessary rather than grow them internally. Uh, along with that is, you know, waiting until people are managers before they get leadership development. Mm. Uh, that's that's like, uh, you know, telling me uh, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, I, I, um, today I need to, uh, you know, putting a golf club in my hand today and saying hit the ball if I've never played golf before, right. or putting a baseball bat in my hand and saying, you know, hit hit a home run when I've never played baseball before. It's it, why would why would one be successful if you've never had any opportunities prior to that? Sure. Uh, and and we we probably do more to stifle leadership and not encourage the development of great leaders by not offering opportunities early on in people's lives and careers. And we also do that by focusing just on those at the top and and uh, not those at all levels in the organization. Sure. Well, it's been such a pleasure today, Jim. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you for this opportunity, and I wish you all the best. That concludes Part 2 of the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Jim Kuzis. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from leadernetwork.org.